Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored, lies, damn lies, and the Sussexes. As the monarchy braces itself for more mudslinging on Netflix, Harry and Meghan's latest fibs are laid bare. Britain is rocked by the biggest wave of winter strikes in decades and rail chaos threatens to wreck Christmas for millions. I'll talk to the government minister, who so far failed to get a grip. Plus, the infamous con man behind Fire Festival was jailed for one of the biggest frauds in music history. Now he's back with a new ruse. Should he be allowed to? He joins me live. Live from London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Reviews for Harry and Meghan's big-budget Netflix series have so far been less than kind. Unimaginative and frustrating, said Hollywood's Bible Variety magazine. So sickening, I almost brought up my breakfast, said the woke Bible The Guardian. All the intimacy of Instagram, sneered the normally timid New York Times... A nauseating self-serving snooze fest, said another pundit. Well, that was me, actually. Now, against this deluge of derision, Netflix today released a new trailer for the second half of this compelling series, which comes out on Thursday. Viewer discretion is advised. This clip contains weapons-grade hypocrisy. I wonder what would have happened to us had we not gone out when we did. Our security was being pulled. Everyone in the world knew where we were. I said that we need to get out of here. We are on the freedom flight. To see this institutional gaslighting. I wasn't being thrown to the wolves, I was being fed to the wolves. They were actively recruiting people to disseminate disinformation. They were happy to lie to protect my brother. They were never willing to tell the truth to protect us. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. The rogue royals. They just wanted to be free. They wanted to be free to love and be happy. I applauded that. In order for us to be able to move to the next chapter, you've got to finish the first chapter. It gave us a chance to create that home that we had always wanted. I've always felt as though this was a fight worth fighting for. Institutional gaslighting, says Harry. Do you think he even knows what that means? They were happy to lie to protect my brother. Who? The royals? Me? The media? Who is it? The irony is earth-shattering, isn't it? Harry and Meghan are the Duke and Duchess of gaslighting themselves. The entire show is a cynical attempt to manipulate viewers into questioning their own recollections of reality. And if we learned anything at all from the first three hours of this $100 million whinathon, it's surely that this dismal duo wouldn't know the truth if you smacked them around their smug chops. Let's look at their truth versus the actual truth. 
Meghan moans that royal advisers forced her to uninvite her dear niece, Ashley, from the wedding, the only member of her family that she seemed to be still talking to. How do we explain that this half-sister isn't invited to the wedding, but that the half-sister's daughter is? And so, with Ashley, the guidance at the time was to not have her come to our wedding. Yeah, that was a lie. Impeccably placed royal sources told the Sunday Times no such guidance was ever given. And that was supposed to be the show's big example of how Meghan really cares very deeply about her family, so deeply that only one member of that family was at the wedding, her mother, not even her favourite little niece, Ashley. Meghan also sees she got no advice on royal protocol, forcing her to learn how to be a princess all on her own. Joining this family, I knew that there was a protocol for how things were done. There's no class in some person who goes sit like this, cross your legs like this, use this fork, don't do this, curtsy then, wear this kind of hat. The doesn't happen. Another lie. And by the way, Megan, if you don't like me calling you a liar, just sue me and we'll go through all this in court. The Sunday Times discovered she was actually handed a 30-point dossier, studiously researched, brimming with information and contacts. Megan later simpers that she never wore bright colours to show respect, because she's all about respect. So I was like, well, what's a colour that they'll probably never wear? Camel, beige, white. So I wore a lot of muted tones, but it also was so I could just blend in. Like, I'm not trying to stand out here. No, the last thing Meghan Markle would ever want to do is stand out. But it's all another lie. Photos taken by the evil, bigoted British press show her wearing pretty much every colour in the rainbow. The show opens with the claim that the royal family declined to comment on the series. That's another lie. The palace says it received one email from an unknown company and attempts to verify it were flatly ignored. Even the story of their romance and engagement turns out to be in a series of whoppers. They told the BBC in 2017 they were set up by a mutual friend on a blind date. They told Netflix they met on Instagram. And what about Harry's modest proposal in their humble cottage kitchen? Uh, it happened uh, a few weeks ago, mm. um, earlier this month, here at, at our cottage. Um, just a standard, typical it's night for us. It's a cosy night. It was, what were we doing? Just roasting chicken roasting and having... Chicken. <laughs> trying to roast a chicken. <laughs> trying to roast a chicken. And it was just, a, uh, just an amazing surprise. It was so sweet. An amazing surprise. It was so sweet. Well, according to Netflix, which is their show, it was actually a candlelit extravaganza in their walled garden. And Megan was so amazingly surprised, she managed to figure out what was happening and tell her friend about it before Harry even popped the question. A small little detail, but rather like their claim, or Megan's claim, that they'd been secretly married by the Archbishop of Canterbury in their garden before, three days before, the big televised wedding, which also turned out not just to be untrue, but had it been true, would have led to the Archbishop of Canterbury being incarcerated in prison. As with all things Meghan and Harry, it would seem, the truth just doesn't really exist in their world. It's their truth, their version of it. Meghan also lambasted the entire BBC engagement interview as rehearsed and an orchestrated reality show, because that's the last thing she'd be engaging in, isn't it? An orchestrated reality show, like the Netflix series. 
Michelle Hussein from the BBC, who carried out the interview, said, actually, no, it was just an interview. Even the BBC's long-serving royal correspondent, Nicholas Witchell, normally bent double to avoid upsetting absolutely anybody in royal circles, can't take it anymore. Consider one of the things that Meghan said. No matter what I did, they were still going to find a way to destroy me. Well, the first point, who is the they that she's referring to? I think it is the palace, but most particularly it is to the press. But the idea that anyone was out to destroy her, frankly, I think, is absurd and simply does not stand up to proper and reasonable scrutiny. Well, that's Nicholas Witchell's way of saying you're lying. And he's right. They lie all the time. Nothing they ever say seems to stand up to reasonable scrutiny. And I say that as somebody who lost his last job presenting Good Morning Britain because I wouldn't apologise for saying I didn't believe Meghan Markle. Think about that. Well, just like they've failed to ever provide a shred of evidence for their claims of racism in the palace or Meghan's claims over mental health problems, she said that they were not just ignored by the palace, but she was told she wasn't allowed to get any help for suicidal thoughts by somebody at the palace. Who was that person? They shouldn't be working at the palace. We've never had a name. Like, we've never had any names about the racism. Today's new trailer makes clear that the gloves are off in the next three episodes of the show. And remember, this is just a warm-up. Then there's Harry's book coming in early January. Hundreds of pages of more allegations about his family. There will be mudslinging, incendiary claims, bombshells, and, I fear, a lot more lies. And on behalf of the British people and the monarchy they're trashing, I intend to call out every single lie that they utter in their attempt to not just destroy the royal family, but to potentially bring down the British monarchy. Well, joining me now is the organiser of Black Lives Matter protests, Iman Aiton, former head of royal protection, Di Davis, and Talk TV presenter Sharon Osborne over in Los Angeles. Sharon, great to have you on the programme. Um, I don't know about you, I got about halfway through the first instalment of this Winathon last Thursday and felt genuinely nauseous. I mean, I could feel vomit rising inside me, but also a sense of tedium. Like, we'd heard all this before with Oprah. Uh, nothing really seemed that new. It was just a new gloss put on all this stuff, but the main purpose of it just seemed to be to attack the royal family, to attack the institution of the monarchy, to attack Britain as a racist country. What, what do you make of all this? It was all very distasteful, Piers. I was totally bored by the whining, the whining, the whining. And, you know, the curtsy, the thing she said about medieval times, her lunch with the Queen was like medieval times, which, as you know, is a Disney-type um, entertainment place for kids. And it's just so horribly disrespectful and just a wine fest. I mean... Is the book going to be the same thing? Whining, whining. Is there going to be no positive points? And that whole thing of him um, filming himself on the Freedom Flight, mm. they must have had that deal with Netflix done months right. before they ever left. So and the whole thing was a setup, a setup, a setup. Why, unless you had a deal, why would you have done that filming of yourself on the plane and all of that? And also, what kind Doing of freedom? a video diary, what? Yeah, and what kind of freedom is it if all you're doing is living in your California mansion with unbelievable privilege and wealth 
and you're signing all these deals with companies who want their pound of flesh, and that pound of flesh is exclusively trashing your family. I mean, this is all they do. From the Oprah interview onwards, but all they've done is trash their families. Onwards is trash. But there's nothing about themselves, you know, and this is a great time for them to keep talking about their charity. But no, it's about them being these poor little children who are so much in love and how abused they've been. Their race, the way they act, everything has been, you know, abused by the public, by the press, by the royal family. Well, do you know what? You've got a great life. You've got a beautiful family. You're so much in love. Move on. Get a life. Move yeah. on. And they just can't seem to because their living is by telling their truth on the royal family. That's how they make their living. Yeah. Um, their truth, as they yeah, say. Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree. Um, Di Davis, on the question of their security specifically, because you were obviously responsible for a lot of royal security for many years, Harry claims that they were sort of had their security all taken away. Is that even remotely likely to have been true? Well, no, the answer is absolutely not. The uh, protection team followed them to Canada. It was when they moved from Canada to the United States, somebody far higher than I in my present role or my old role decided, along with a committee that decides this called RABAC, um, they decided that it was no longer sustainable for British police officers to continue. And I totally and utterly agreed. And can I say, the last time you and I spoke, we were talking about the lies that uncle, um, his uncle Andrew mm. put across. And here we are again, as an investigator, as you rightly have said, and many others, there are so much inconsistencies in this. There are so many half-truths. And my concern is, as I said, having had some information from Texas, as to the number of individuals there who have uh, believed this hook, line and sinker. Yeah. And if you know your history of attacks on the royal family as I do, then you would start to realise this is potentially very serious indeed, not only for the royal family, but for a fixated person on either side to get in touch and cause, as it did with President Reagan, mm. as it did with Her Majesty a Queen last Christmas, a man with a crossbow, etc., etc., Every year, over a 1,000 referrals are made to the Fixated Threat Assessment Centre. Most of them are harmless, but amongst them there is a hard core who could pose serious risk. And that's what I've been concerned about as a consequence of this nonsense that's been spewed out by these two and some of their supporters. Yeah, I completely agree. OK, look, Imane, we've had some... A lot of, you know, animated debate about this. And I completely respect a lot of the stuff that you've been saying. Vice versa. Uh, my, my issue with this is I, I'm not sure what the supposed end game is or how much more of this was supposed to stomach. I mean, this is another three hours of trashing coming on Thursday. Then the book, then a series of interviews around the book. This is just a never-ending stream of attacks on their own family. I appreciate that's how you feel, but ultimately what they're really doing is highlighting the disgusting elephant in the room that the majority of this nation are more than happy to ignore, and that's what's happening right now, and they're trying to do it in a way that allows them to look after their family, basically. So if it means making money whilst they do it, then so... Well, what is that elephant in the room? Racism. 
racism in terms of racial prejudice within institution and racism in terms of this country being racist. But I said to you the other day, when things got a bit heated yeah. uh, at this desk, that I felt that if you're going to make incredibly serious charges of racism in an institution like the British royal family and the monarchy, you've got to provide some evidence. They've now had a year and a half or more since the Oprah Winfrey interview in which they made all these incendiary claims. They've not produced any evidence of any racism. OK, so what I'm hoping is that these next set of documentaries, they will actually provide us with some names so we can kind of stop discussing what if it doesn't? and going... If it doesn't, well, what I'll do is I'll provide you with my evidence. Is that all right? If you give me a minute, I'll give you some evidence as to why this, that specific institution is racist, which I can do. So, in terms of the evidence that you are likely to find, it is going to be in the form of covert racism. And I know you don't like that word, but it, it is a fact. So, examples include, in terms of the institution, the distribution of the Order of St Michael, which is a badge which ultimately depicts a white man with wings trampling a black man. We can also delve into the fact that uh, that institution hung up pictures of a little black slave boy on the walls within the institution, and everyone was so blinded by the racial prejudice that no-one saw fit to take it down when the black president popped round for tea. Or we can delve into the fact that the Queen Elizabeth, or rather the late Queen, made sure that she did not have to adhere to the equalities, laws and legislation, which is arguably what a true racist would do. And we cannot take away the fact... You're calling, the fact. you're calling the Hold late Queen a true racist? No, I'm saying it's arguably what a true racist would do. To make she wasn't sure. a racist. She was the Hold head of the Commonwealth. Hold she couldn't have been a less racist person okay. if she had tried. Okay. Ask Here's. anyone in any of the Commonwealth countries Here's. about the Queen. None of them ever felt the Queen was a racist. Here's. Racism... When you say things like that, you lose me. I'm like... That's a, that's a ridiculous thing to say. OK, so I'll explain it. So, racism was the building blocks for the transatlantic slave trade, a trade that was funded by the royal family, and they ultimately made their wealth off of the blood, sweat and tears off of enslaved and Africans. And it was this country... Hold on a second. It was this country that actually led the end of slavery. Which everyone likes to Hundreds talk about. Hundreds of years ago, also, by the way. But you also contributed to it. And what you fail to realise is that the legacy of colonialism, slavery and British politeness play mm. a vital role in the perpetuation of covert racism, in other words, the present-day racism that I talk about today, which is in the form of covert racism. So, would you just, so you've described the late Queen as a, a, effectively a true racist. You think, and you think the country is racist. OK, so if anyone that doesn't think that this country is racist... No, no, are we a racist a country? So I'm going to Or are we it. a country that actually is remarkably tolerant, has extraordinarily multicultural society, but includes some racist people? Okay, Which so one is you, it? So if you don't think this is a racist country, you should probably speak to Diane Abbott, the black footballers who have to contend with racism on a daily basis, or we can delve into the 85,000 people who... So you're saying because racism. a few people... Can I just finish? Yeah. Or we can delve into the 85,000 people who reported racially motivated hate crimes in 2021 and it's subsequently mm -hmm. gone up to 100,000. Right. Or we can delve into the 120,000 people who have left their jobs in the last five years due to racism. Or we can delve into the quarter of staff and 56% of students within higher education that have to contend with racism. Or if none of those are acceptable, Would you, I can so, happily okay. show you my plethora me just, of messages that I, I receive after this interview. I have no... I do not dispute for a moment there are vile racists in this country. I don't dispute for a moment. If you trawl enough on social media, you'll find them. But I do think they are the ugly little barnacles peering out from rocks. I don't believe that they are actually what this country stands for. But I don't believe the vast majority of people in Britain are racist. I don't think we're an institutionally racist country. And I certainly don't think the Queen had a racist bone in her body, which is why she's such a beloved figure in the Commonwealth. So can I just add that... Again, I said it to you last time, this country has a very rudimentary understanding of racism, often referring to overt racism as the defining factor for racism. The problem that with covert be, racism... That couldn't be even more... Right, but the trouble with covert racism is you end up with people like Meghan Markle mm. who say 
I was a victim of racism, but don't feel they have any compulsion to have to say what actually happened, when it happened, and who said it. And that is... If that's covert racism, the problem with it is there's no hard fact to support it. But that's the issue with... OK, so firstly, I will preface my statement by saying I agree with you. It should be known. That's, that's mm. a fact. It should be known and she should make a point of saying it. I really do hope that she does. But ultimately, like I said, this is about her highlighting a truth, a truth that many people are failing to acknowledge. And like I All said... All right, let me bring, let me bring back Sharon. A, an odd frame of reference. Let me bring back Sharon. Sharon, look, these are pretty incendiary comments from Iman here, that we are a racist country, that the Queen effectively was a true covertly. racist. Covertly. Covertly Thank or otherwise. Uh, I mean, I find those comments pretty offensive. What do you think? I think that, as in every country in this world, there are a sect that are anti-Semitic racist. There always will be, no matter what, there always will be, because there's good and bad in every race, there's always a little group of these nasty little evil people that dislike someone because of colour or religion. Those are the two main dislikes. So, yes, there is a certain um, minority in England that are very racist and are very anti-Semitic, OK? And I can say that being a Jew. So the thing is, it's never going to end. It hasn't ended for thousands of years. Why should it end now? But you carry on. You don't give these people a platform. You want to talk about somebody with a platform? Kanye West. Mm. He is. He has millions of followers that follow him, that adore him, and will do what he wants them to do. You see, I but actually think I actually is, think look, Meghan Markle. The country isn't overall racist. No, and I think Meghan Markle branding as a racist country and attacking the institution, the monarchy, is racist. It's unfair. I think, I think it's actually, unfair. I think she totally is. Unfair. She is what I would call a race baiter. If she doesn't produce hard evidence to support these incendiary claims, she becomes a race baiter exploiting racism and the issue of racism to act as a kind of protective shield around her and to make herself extremely rich and famous as a professional victim. Last word to Di Davis. Di, just as somebody who has been around the royal family for many, many years, how do you feel about the way the reputation of the royal family is being so traduced in this way? Well, I'm appalled, frankly. Uh, some people see racism around the corner. Uh, racism is in Africa, it's in India, it's in every continent. And so to pick on the royal family in this way is both insulting, it's also insulting. Most of the media are very decent people. I know a huge amount of people for the last 50-odd years in the media. Most, like you and I, are decent people. To vilify both the royals, the media and the nation and somehow imply we're all racist is nonsensical, in my opinion. And I, I, I just despair that there are so many who will take the word of proven liars and then translate it into this issue about racism. And you were around the Queen a lot on this suggestion that she was some covert racist herself. What do you say to that? Unbelievable nonsense. Thank you, Di. Appreciate you joining me. Thank you, Sharon, uh, over there in LA. Hope to catch up with you soon. Thank you, Mom, for joining me. I appreciate it. Well, coming next, uh, trains, nurses, ambulance workers, postal workers, just about everybody seems to be going on strike in the run-up to Christmas. Will the government get a grip on the winter of discontent? I'll talk to the Royal Minister, Hugh Merriman, next.
Welcome back after two Christmases wrecked by the COVID pandemic. This year's festivities were supposed to be a hard-earned and belated celebration for millions of long-suffering British families. Instead, Britain's facing its biggest wave of winter strikes in decades, including train strikes set to wreck Christmas travel. Joining me now is Conservative MP and Rail Minister Hugh Merriman. Mr Merriman, thank you for joining Piers Morgan Uncensored. Um, just as I was about to start talking to you, the uh, breakdown in talks of the nurses and, and uh, the government has just been announced, which means there will be nursing strikes. This adds to the very long list now of people who are going on strike in the next two to three weeks run up to Christmas. There's a general feeling that this government has completely lost control here. What is going on and when are you going to fix it? Well, I don't believe we've lost control. We've made uh, a number of offers across the sector, many of which have been backed by independent pay body um, recommendations, which we followed. We've tabled those offers. We've then had discussions in many departments, including my own, I had more today, uh, to try and persuade the unions of the merits of those offers. But, Piers, we have to balance it with the cost. If we gave every public sector worker what they were looking for in terms of inflation pay awards, it would cost every household £1,000. So we have a duty to balance the needs of the workforce, uh, but also the needs of every other uh, household around the country that will end up footing the bill for these at a time when uh, times are tight. And the private sector awards are much lower than those uh, that the public sector unions tend to be looking for. So we're trying to find that balance. We're trying to act reasonably. We're trying to follow advice. And we're trying to facilitate an end. But ultimately, it takes the unions to compromise as well. I mean, I would say the problem you've got is the unions feel emboldened because they perceive the government to be in a chronically weak condition. They've watched what's happened in the last year in particular. Three prime ministers, four or five home secretaries, uh, endless chancellors coming and going, the economy tanked, the pound tanked, you know, Liz Trust lasting less than a lettuce. They put it all together and they thought this is the time to get together, which they clearly are doing, and take you guys down. And you know what? They might be successful. The, 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 the fallout from all this might be so bad that it is the tipping point for this government and is the final blow and leads to a Labour government? Well, Piers, the Prime Minister made it absolutely clear that his number one priority is gripping inflation. Uh, and that's why we've, we've taken uh, the step to ensure that we do not pay um, increases that go beyond inflation and, and don't go to inflation. <clears throat> and so that was the Prime Minister's commitment when he fought the leadership contest at the beginning of summer, uh, is his commitment now, because inflation makes everyone poorer uh, and the poorest uh, the poorer of them all. So that's the Prime Minister's number one priority, and that means that pay restraint will have to be uh, recognised across the board. So I believe that we've got the resolve there. Uh, we've also seen what happens when government spends money it doesn't have. Uh, the markets react as they did. And again, that's something that we're not willing to do under this new government. So I do feel we're gripping it. Um, that means we have to take tough decisions and we have to hold out in certain circumstances, rail being a good example of that uh, within my portfolio. But that's something we're determined to do. So we want to act reasonably talk, try and facilitate an end to this. But our message is clear. Uh, we cannot have inflation running rampant. Uh, pay rises that go anywhere near to inflation or above it will just make the situation even worse. Uh, and that's our line. What do you say to people who say, OK, so you can't afford to give the nurses pay rises, yet the moment there was a pandemic, you began chucking billions and billions uh, what appeared to be any Tom, Dick and Harry pitching up who said they could make PPE or whatever it was, uh, often ended up making unusable PPE, but, but pocketing 
tens of millions of pounds, sometimes hundreds of millions. They've looked at that and looked at the way the government just handed out cash like Father Christmas for two years. But now that the nurses, who we all went and clapped for on Thursday nights, for saving lives in the pandemic and risking their own, now they want a proper pay rise, they're told there's no money left. Well, the nurses did a heroic job over the pandemic and they continue to do so because the NHS obviously has its pressures. But what you're talking about with a 19.2% pay increase um, is an extra £10 billion onto the budget of the NHS, which then comes out of the NHS. So it'll actually make the situation even more challenging. In terms of what happened during COVID, you know, Piers, that there is an inquiry that's been set up. That will look at absolutely everything. Um, those overseeing the inquiry will have full access to all of the papers. So... Um, that's something to be determined. So I can't sort of link the two together. Um, but what I can say is that 19.2% is just a pay rise that we cannot afford. Even the Labour Party have admitted that they can't afford that either. Um, we have um, offered talks. Um, Steve Barclay has made that quite clear. So we want to find a resolution. Um, but we just need uh, the nurses to recognise that 19.2% is something that no household and the NHS well, I, you see, I would agree with you. I think that is an unworkable resolution. I don't think anyone can be expecting to get more than inflation from any sector, frankly, and I would give the nurses pretty much anything, but there's got to be a reality check. But what about the state of the NHS? I mean, one of the reasons they, they're contemplating this unprecedented strike is because they all feel so disillusioned. They all feel overworked, underpaid. They've lost uh, staffing numbers in droves. If you go to any busy hospital now in, in the country, on, at the weekend in particular, it's complete chaos in there. You know, my heart goes out to all these people working in not just hospitals, but the care sector too, after all they've been through in the last two, three years. You know, so I don't think they should be getting 19%, but they should certainly be getting due recognition for the extraordinary efforts they've made. And the wider question for your government is, after all these years in government, why is the NHS in such a tattered state? Well, the NHS, of course, has had severe challenges, not just from the ageing population and social care issues that we all know about, but also, as you've picked up yourself, the pandemic. Um, and we've got a backlog. We're starting to clear that backlog, thanks to the work of the NHS staff. It is a big challenge. We're putting extra money in to try and get more people out of hospital when they don't need to be there because that's not right for them or the hospitals. So back into social care uh, where they'd be better looked after. And we've also got a longer term plan now to ensure that we've got the staffing modelling that we need over a period of years. That's something that Jeremy Hunt, when he was chair of the um, Health Select Committee, was very keen on and he announced that in the budget. So I'd like nurses to, to and indeed all those that work across the NHS, uh, to take away from, from this that we recognise the pressures that they face in their job we recognise what they do. Uh, they do a fantastic job. Uh, we want to help them to, to make the NHS more efficient and deliver better. But the challenge for us is that if we pay out a 19.2% pay rise, uh, then we can't do, do both in that sense. So we're asking for the, a, a pay rise, um, a, a discussion that makes it a more reasonable figure, uh, and then we can look to see what can be done. But I just want to be absolutely clear. Um, we need to ensure that the pay rises do not breed inflation because that just makes everyone poorer. I would one of, point well, one out of the other problems the, you have, um, I would say, in terms nurse... of perception, is your recently departed health secretary uh, throughout the pandemic, Matt Hancock, has been raking it in to the tune of hundreds of thousands of pounds. 
eating kangaroo testicles in an Australian jungle on reality television, doing another reality TV show, writing a book of fake diaries which were concocted after the event which make him look great and everybody else look useless, uh, and is now releasing TikTok videos. Here's a video he released today. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. It's two years ago today that we did the first vaccine in the world in Coventry, and then I cried on TV. So embarrassing. Well, it was embarrassing, mainly because I was the one that was interviewing him at the time when he burst into apparent tears, and there were no actual tears. I mean, everything about Matt Hancock seems to be fake and embarrassing, but if you're a nurse watching this health secretary who then had to quit in disgrace because he broke his own lockdown rules, if you watch him raking it in, literally, he's heading towards millions now from for his shameful uh, running of the pandemic and his shameful uh, departure from government. How difficult does that make your position as part of a government now trying to persuade nurses they shouldn't be entitled to a few extra hundred pounds? Well, it appears you can see my backdrop. I'm here in Parliament, which is where I always am, because that's my job. That's what my constituents sent me here to represent. Uh, they did not send me uh, to go on to reality TV shows, and I think the government have made it quite clear from the Prime Minister downwards that that's not where an MP should be spending their time when they're elected by the public to do a job that we should all be privileged and proud to do. Uh, and in my view, you can only do that by being in Parliament and going through the division lobbies and taking part in debates. So clearly my, my style is different uh, to Matt's in that particular sense. He'll have to uh, account for himself. Um, as for TikTok, um, I promised my youngest daughter that I'd never, never be on it, and I never have. So uh, I can't account for that either. We, we all do things differently. What I would say is the vast majority of MPs uh, and ministers work incredibly hard and will be found here uh, late on a Monday evening uh, voting. Um, and that's something that uh, I just asked to be sort of well, I'm going to end, out with. I'm going to end with a concession to you because we're both Arsenal fans. And in fact, you've berated me in the House of Commons we are. over Arsenal. <laughs> um, but you yeah, got particularly exercised with me when I demanded the head of Mikel Arteta on a plate after he went through two unsuccessful yeah. seasons. I believed he was not entitled to a massive pay rise, not entitled to a new deal. You harangued me on Twitter for this. And, Mr Merriman, I'm, I, I'm big enough to admit that you were right. Uh, Arteta has turned out to be well, I, I, a, an excellent manager. We're top of the league. And it, although it sticks in my gullet to do this, I have to accept that you were right and I was wrong. Well, that shows the great man that you are. I wasn't going to raise it, but uh, I, I, mean, I think it's nice that you have. I think he's doing an amazing job and hopefully we'll both be smiling uh, at the end of the season. I was hoping the season would almost stop now, but uh, let's see if we can get even more points on the board. I totally agree. Mr Merriman, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thanks, Piers. Well, coming up next, Gareth Southgate says he's... Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Conflicted about his future, should he carry on as England's manager? I'll get reaction from my pack and give you my verdict.
Welcome back to Piers Morgan on Sense. I'm joined by today's pack. Talk TV contributors Esther Cracker and Daily Mirror associate editor Kevin Maguire. Well, welcome, pack. Yeah. So it's the it's the hope that kills every time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> England oh, for well for the 56th year <laughs> since we won it in 66. Well, I was one year old. Uh, we failed to win a major tournament. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's odd, Kevin. I'm not feeling the normal fury. You know, demands for the manager yeah. to be sacked. All the normal stuff that goes on. There seems to be a different mood in the air, and it's one which is like, you know what? We've actually got a pretty good team. Yep. We've got a pretty impressive manager. Yep. We nearly won the Euros last yep. time. We narrowly lost to the world yep. champions this time and could have won it if Harry Kane had yep. scored the second penalty. You know, we, we, these kid, the young kids, the superstars of his team, Foden and yep. Bellingham and Saka, they're all very, very young. Yeah. Why would we get rid of Southgate? You wouldn't, would you? And you would hope he would stay, but you could see why he will reflect. And he's taken England so far since mm. we were humiliated by Iceland in 2016. <laughs> yeah. The mighty Iceland uh, at, at the Euros. And he's got what, a, World, a World Cup um, quarter. That's he's got fun, a World yeah. Cup semi. Euro final. No, I hope he stays out his contract. But what I like about Southgate is the fact he might not, and he's thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. He's and a thoughtful guy, yeah. yeah. And I think he has changed uh, the culture with the team. I yes. think yeah, it's a completely yeah. different... I think matters, actually. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, mean, I find some of the virtue signaling a bit over the top. Mm. All the armband stuff, I could do with that. But I do think that they're a decent group of yeah. people led by Harry Kane, is a decent guy. And I think they try and do the right thing yeah. rather than go out of their way to do the wrong thing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think mm. um, he's been blessed. Southgate has been blessed with a fantastic generation of players. I don't see why he would he would go. And I didn't watch the France and um, England match feeling embarrassed by the way we played, no. which is important. I think everyone I said... We were the better well, we, team for much of the game. Oh, yeah, exactly. They that. did do us yeah. proud. If he hadn't missed... If Kane hadn't missed I think we've got a very good chance of winning the Euros in Germany because I think I our young so. players will all be two years older. Yeah. Bellingham is already world-class. He's 19. Yeah. 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 Saka was fantastic. He's just going to yeah. get better. Yeah. No, no, I think that you, you look at that team and you can take it on. So I, yeah. I hope he stays, but I do like the fact that he hasn't just all about it. He said, yeah, I've got a nice Are you going job. to a Christmas party? Yeah. Are you? Yes. Are you? So what are you going to call it? It's, well, it's just a Christmas party. Civil but... servants have been told to refer to Christmas parties as festive celebrations if... as part of new woke guidance on inclusion <laughs> yeah. because people from I... other faiths may not like the word Christmas. God, spare me! Yep. I, I... Look, if you want to call your party a festive celebration, I'd still come along. I yeah, might, but they've been told, might, they've yeah. been told might, not to. But I might, I might think you've got your tongue in your cheek when you do that. But then there are more diverse groups who think it's respectful. And I, if but they, how is if it they want to do it, England, let them, the UK let them do is it. a Christian country. So I'm not going to go to Dubai. It is a Christian didn't country. You, didn't you see the census showing that well, fewer look, than I'm half sorry, of but us it's still a Christian, Christian country there. rooted in Christian traditions. I'm not going to go to the Middle East and, yeah. and not wish someone Eid Mubarak. You can right. call it Christmas party. You probably wouldn't do that. I need Rome. Do what the Romans do. You know, you right wingers are real right wingers. Just let people live their lives. Talking right wingers. So Greg's my favourite. My favourite store. Um, where you get those vegan sausage rolls that have more salt in them than McDonald's cheeseburgers. Um, they brought in pronouns of staff name batches after feedback from employees, which include the usual she, her, hers, him, him, his, they, them, theirs, even though they're singular people who call themselves they, never quite get that, or neo-pronouns. This is a new one for me, yeah. which apparently can include Z and Zia yeah. and Fay and Fair. Before you answer, I just want to clip my fingers for the old... The world. The world <laughs>
Who is going to walk around a Greg selling ghastly vegan sausage rolls with a badge saying Z Zero and Fay Fair? What does it even mean? And you can never choose a fun one. You can never say like guess. What does it mean? Look, you, my highness. You're both triggered again. No, but just, I just let people be. If people. you're going to choose your pronouns, no. choose a fun one. Mine would be your highness. You, yeah, you can still get. If a I wore a badge, if I wore a badge, right, walking around the street that just said dickhead, right? <laughs> people, yeah, well, I mean, you know. right, you go, you go. Don't be so ridiculous, right? I, oh, I, if I, I, I wore one with Z Z F A F A, what does it mean? I, I'd attempt to respect you if you went you around. You would attempt to say dickhead. Would you? I would. Would you? I would defend you. Because many might think I've got a more natural affinity with that, and you would with the word Z. If the Greg boss class said you must wear these badges, I would I would push back. But if the staff want to wear them, what's wrong? I don't, want to go into a, I don't want to go Greg's full stock, because it might slip me a vegan sausage roll. Yeah. I don't want to just be forced with this yeah. pronoun nonsense everywhere. If you want to wear one in your own home, get on with it. What, you're going to say, look, there's well, a chicken is, sandwich. I can't have that now. I've seen your shoe. I don't think saying ZZ on, your, on know. your badge. But who, who is it hurting to not have pronouns on their badge? Just, just take a guess. Yeah. Yes. But it's, if the staff want them, there's a reason. They want to respect other yes, staff, Zoom they are, or customers. Been, they've, they've been, as Elon Musk would put it, they've been oh. contracted with the woke virus. It's a very afflicting thing. I'm going to bring in chill pills for you two next I'm time. I'm just saying, right? it's, like, it's patently absurd. I don't, I, you know, I'm going for a sausage roll, not to yeah. find out what Z-Zero's real name is. Why do you, it's not going to put you off, really. It is going to put me honest, off, because it's weird. Just, it like, is weird. Let people be people. It is weird. But they're not people, they're weirdos. Yeah. And that's the problem. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Pac. Good to see you. Well, coming next on, like, the Fire Festival was advertised by A-listers like uh, Ja Rule. Is he an A-lister? Who is Ja Rule? Kendall Jenner <laughs> and Bella Hadid, with tickets selling for as much as £75,000, but it turned out to be a complete fiasco, and his founder and organiser, Billy McFarlane, was jailed. Well, he's out of jail, and he joins me next. Well, the infamous Fire Festival promised superstars, luxury and fine dining in a Caribbean paradise. Instead, it became a fiasco that left founder Billy McFarlane sentenced to six years in jail, owing $26 million to investors, which remains unpaid. Here's a reminder of what's been called the biggest fraud in music festival history, immortalised in a hit Netflix documentary. The actual experience exceeds all expectations. It is something that's hard to put to words. All these things that may seem big and impossible are not. It gives people that type of energy. Island getaway turned disaster. It became very barbaric. American rapper Ja Rule is in the Bahamas with his business partner. Billy McFarlane. He's an amazing entrepreneur. He could convince anyone of pretty much anything. They just bought an island. Pablo Escobar's island. Within 48 hours, they sold out. When thousands arrived in the Bahamas for the fire Festival, after paying up to $1,500 for a ticket and $12,000 for a VIP experience, they found a millennial nightmare. It was basically the exact opposite of everything we were promised. Prosecutors say cost investors and customers over $26 million. The promoter behind the botched Fire Music Festival in the Bahamas has been sentenced now to six years in prison. Well, Billy McFarlane went to prison and he joins me now. Billy McFarlane, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Pierce, thank you for having me on your platform. Huge opportunity. Thank you. So, look, I watched the Netflix documentary and it was like watching a slow-moving pile-up on a, on a freeway for you, motorway for us. 
where it just seemed pretty obvious quite early on this was not going to work. And the bigger the hole you dug, the worse things got. Was that how it felt for you? Well, Pierce, first, you are braver than me because I've never watched documentaries and still can't get myself to do it. But I was just so wrong. And I'd like to, I think, start with telling you what I thought that I was trying to do. So I thought that I was taking these different people from diverse backgrounds and bringing them together through adventures and experiences. And when this was happening, it was almost like I found my little slice of magic in the world as these people were forming relationships and sharing ideas. And I really just wanted to share this with everybody. And I was just so wrong in my approach to do that. Well, hang on. Look, I'm sorry, but your attempt to make yourself out to be some magic maker... Uh, keen on spreading diversity. It all sounds great now, but the truth is you were trying to flee some more for cash. That's why you ended up in prison for so long. I mean, it was, it was a money-making vehicle. Your intention was not to, you know, get a load of happy campers together and spread love and diversity and a bit of magic. It was to empty their wallets, wasn't it? I was so wrong, and I lost everything I had in the process and lost the support, the relationships, and the trust of all of my friends and all of my investors and all of my team members. As crazy as it sounds for me sitting here looking back at all the terrible decisions I made, I truly thought that I was going to pull off this event. That does not excuse the lying to investors that I did to try to get the capital that I thought I needed. And Pierce, I was wrong. I messed up. I mean, you're planning another festival now um, called Pirate, I think, uh, which is probably quite appropriate but why should anybody trust you either with money as an investment or buying a ticket to this thing given what happened before given you've not paid off all the people who lost money last time yeah that's a really good question and in my Thank mind you. there's two ways to look at there, yeah so in my mind there's two ways to look at this and i think that one option is is to essentially crawl in a hole and die of remorse and i think that's something a lot of people probably want but then how does everybody get paid and for me, I need to find pride in my life by at least trying to right my wrongs and make it up to everybody that I hurt. I mean, you went to prison for quite a long time. What was that experience like? Yeah, so served uh, around four years. And I just kept making it worse and worse upon myself. I actually ended up spending 309 days in solitary confinement. So for the first period of my life, I was really forced to sit in time out and reflect on terrible decisions and try to understand like what makes me tick as a human and how I could try to do something positive moving forward. I mean, look, I don't know you. I, I know what a lot of people have said about you. It's not flattering, as you know. I obviously am aware a lot of people lost a lot of money and that's a serious situation. It was a crime for which you've paid your price and it was a pretty big price to pay. Would you categorise yourself as somebody who was, you know, a criminal mastermind? or as somebody that perhaps others might say was just a massive bullshitter on the make who thought he'd get away with it, and unfortunately, all his chips fled from red to black. I think what just disgusts me the most, Pierre, especially during those 10 months where I had nothing to look at, like, you know, but a concrete wall on myself, is that I was trying for six, seven years to build and launch startups and I formed great relationships over those period. And the fact that I took advantage of those relationships all for this purpose of trying to be successful or big or well-known, and it was just disgusting and awful.
What's the one thing you've really learned about yourself, Billy? You just can't attach your personal pride to success or any idea of success. And it's more about the relationships and the bond you find along the way. And I was just so insecure and thought that my personal self-worth would be executing a big festival that made everybody rich and happy. And that's just so incredibly wrong. And it's how I can find that pride and self-worth in my day-to-day, -day, like, regular life. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if, if it had worked? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is even if the festival succeeded, I still would have gone to jail. Like, I lied to investors to raise the money. So even if people made money and all the ticket holders met great people and had the weekend of their lives, I would have been sitting in jail for years. So there's just no, there's no excuse, Piers. Well, and to those who, you know, you owe money to, who are disgusted you're having another festival, what, what do you say finally to them? And once again, it's like I need to find pride somewhere in life. And my pride, hopefully in 60 years from now, when I'm on my deathbed, is that I spent the majority of my adult life trying to right my wrongs. So I'm going to go out there and work. I'm going to work honestly. I can't promise that I'm going to succeed, but I can promise I'm getting help where I need it and trying to focus on my skill set. And whatever I do will go towards paying everybody back. Okay. Well, on one positive note, you've got the right name for the festival, Fire because that's what it went all up in. Uh, Billy McFarlane, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Pierce, thank you. See you soon. That's it from me. Good night. Keep it uncensored.